I truly believe that. We don't need to produce more food, right? Over a third of the food we produce is wasted. That's crazy. And then you've got over 800 million people who don't have enough to eat. It's proven that we have enough food. It's just a matter of getting it into people's hands. Welcome to SheEO.World podcast, where you'll meet women and non-binary folks who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable. Hello, I'm Carly Cunningham, and I'm thrilled to be guest hosting this episode of the podcast. I'm an activator and the founder of Big Bold Brand, where we work at the intersection of business and brand strategy, communications, sales, and marketing. We co-create with changemakers, visionaries, innovators, disruptors, and paradigm shifters, the types of people who charge towards difficult challenges and get excited about tackling the seemingly impossible and building the unimagined to create a more equitable, sustainable, and healthier world, just like those in our community. My days are spent helping entrepreneurs and business owners build the strategic tools and execution plans that they need to get clear on their vision and direction to align everyone and everything in their business, develop a clear positioning for their brand and impactful messaging to ensure that everyone is communicating the same message and story, differentiate themselves in the sea of sameness, and attract the right clients team members and investors needed for their business to thrive. All of this contributing to accelerating the growth and success of their venture. But enough about me. This episode is all about introducing you to Cooks Who Feed, a 2022 venture. And here to tell us about it is the founder, Seema Sangavi. Welcome, Seema. Thanks for having me, Carly. I am so excited to dig into this interview with you. And so to bring those into the story who haven't checked out Cooks Who Feed before, Cooks Who Feed ethically produces handcrafted aprons to fight hunger. Now, normally my first question is, tell me about the problems your company solves in the world. And I know that your core problem was just made pretty clear, but I know there's more problems that you and your team are solving. Can you tell us about those? For sure. So I guess the whole idea is to be as sustainable and socially responsible as possible. So we start with, you know, the fabrics that we use. We only use sustainable fabrics so that, you know, we're not causing more issues and causing more issues for the, for the planet. Mm -hmm. um, and then in regards to who makes our products, we hire marginalized women. The goal is to get them out of poverty. We currently employ 72 women full-time. Um, they're all based in Delhi, India, where our sewing house is. And um, that's a big, you know, hunger obviously is our primary reason for being, but I would say our second reason for being is really, you know, to, to empower women and to help marginalize women, um, to give them opportunities that they may not otherwise have. Um, so those are, I would say those two problems are our biggest problems. And then on top of that, we do provide meals and we do that by sharing our profits with our charity partners that rescue surplus food to provide the meal. So we're also helping to reduce food waste. That's an amazing number of problems <laughs> you're solving in the world. One thing that struck me in my research for this episode is how clear you are on your ideal customers, foodies who cook. Were you always this clear on your niche? Maybe not so much in the beginning when I was still trying to figure things out, but I'm pretty confident that as soon as we started, you know, moving forward with the idea, I was pretty clear on who would target uh, that's that's where I saw the opportunity, right? I think there's so many people today who are becoming foodies. Everyone's a foodie, right? And you were getting, you're seeing bestsellers that are cookbooks. You're you're seeing all these food shows that are everywhere, and you know the foodie culture is taking off. And what I noticed was that when you look at the brands that cater to to foodies and home cooks, 
you know, like whether it's, you know, Williams Sonoma, Crate and Barrel, all these brands, they seem to be producing more higher end luxurious products, but they're not focusing on values that I believe are very important to the foodie community, which is sustainability and, and uh, social responsibility. And I think most foodies care about, and they're well aware of food insecurity and food waste, and they want to be part of the solution. And I just thought that's an opportunity because none of these big brands are, are addressing that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one word that came up a few times as you were talking about that was noticing. And so many of us move so quickly in our own businesses that sometimes we forget to take the time as the business is growing and as things are rolling and it's becoming that snowball down the hill to stop and to notice. And I think that's a something that I really appreciate about what you what you said. And, and always in the beginning, it is taking practice and noticing where are we going to focus? What are we going to do? And one of the things that I noticed and the reason I hooked onto the topic of niche is that I know for many business owners, niching down and tightening up their focus on who are we going to sell to is a scary thing. Can you talk about how having a clearly defined niche has helped your business and made things easier? For sure. And I I get that. I get how, if you think, if you narrow down so much, then maybe your market's not that big, right? And there's this fear that you're missing out. But I think that in regards to, you know, helping us just define our mission and our vision and even the tone and the, the words that we use and we communicate, whether it's, you know, an Instagram post or a newsletter, we speak to our target audience. And yes, it will appeal to other people, but it needs to appeal to our core. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's what kind of keeps us um, so focused on that niche is that we need to be able to speak to someone. Otherwise, it looks like you're all over the place, right? So um, we want to target home cooks. I'm sure we're picking up a lot of other people while we're on this journey, but it's clearly for home cooks, the language that we use, the tone, everything. Yeah. And to play on that, you are definitely speaking my language. That is the work that we do with our customers. And you know, who are you talking to? Who is your ideal target audience? And you hit on that. And the reason we look at ideal is because you do pick up those external other people who come along or, you know, someone who might be a foodie, who might be buying a gift for someone who's on that cusp of becoming a foodie, or they're, you know, they're, you know, I think about my Ukrainian grandmother, she's not a foodie, but she wears an apron and she's a cook. And so it spreads organically when you do a great job at your customer experience and first and foremost, building a phenomenal product. So tell us, is it just aprons you produce talking about niching down? It's kind of a loaded question, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so we, we started with aprons. Uh, we launched actually on a, on a Kickstarter campaign. That was, it was just a good way for us to validate that we actually had something and also a good way to pay for our first production run. Uh, <laughs> so we thought, let's let's try the crowdfunding route. And we started with just two aprons, two adult size aprons. And then when we launched our website, we launched with five. And most of them were designed by different chefs. From there, now we have about 10. We have 10 aprons. Yes, 10 adult aprons. I'll mm-hmm. clarify that for a second. <laughs> um, but we launched a kids line uh, last year during the holiday season. So we made little versions of our three most popular adult aprons. That came from our customers just asking us, you know, when are we going to do this? Because we either, they either had a child who loved to cook or they wanted to encourage their children to cook. So we decided to focus on the three most popular designs so that you can match your child in the kitchen. And then just last month, we launched tea towels and linen napkins um, with Chef Vikram Vich. So he designed them for us and we just launched that last month. That's fantastic. I think we need to get you in one of our other ventures, Pam Fanjoy. 
I think we need to get into some youth. I know Pam. Right? Pam's fantastic. So, I mean, that's one thing I'm always inspired with in this community is it's really easy to, to go, oh, hold on a second. Do you know so-and-so? And just see those strategic partnerships very, very clearly. And again, another benefit of niching down. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is the value we deliver. And it'd be very easy if you were more broad, broad based to go, but are we in quote unquote competition? And I know that's not the way our community operates, but having that clearly defined niche then allows you to tap into strategic partnerships because there's no blur, which is a really nice opportunity. So talk to us about why you started Cooks Who Feed. What was the impetus behind it? I always wanted to start something, whether, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be a company or I just always wanted to be involved in helping feed those less fortunate. I am a foodie. I've always been a foodie. My favorite thing in life is like having friends and family over, you know, and having a good meal. And to me, that's a simple pleasure in life. But I know that a lot of people don't even get to experience that, right? They are focused on just getting enough food in their belly or feeding their kids enough food, enough nutritious food. And I've seen that, I've I've been lucky enough to travel around the world and I've seen that, you know, hunger's everywhere. It's it's ridiculous when you think about it because we produce enough food for everyone. So there shouldn't be any reason why anyone goes hungry or anyone is malnutritioned. And I've always been really passionate about that. And um, in 2016, I was in India for a friend's wedding and uh, another friend suggested I go visit this NGO that was training marginalized women to become seamstresses. And I went there and one of the biggest challenges they had was finding fair trade work for these women. So they were training them, but then they couldn't find enough work for them. So I was like, well, maybe I can start something and these ladies will be the production team. I'll work with them exclusively. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, I said, leave it with me. I will definitely think of something. And about six months later, I was out for a run and it was just like this light bulb went off and I was like, that's it. We're going to make, you know, kitchen textiles and they're going to have a give back model to fight hunger. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to work with these ladies and we're going to call it cooks who feed. And it was just like, literally like one minute, just light bulb went off. Such a stream of consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have so many aha moments while out on runs or mountain bike rides myself. And I find that one of the, the beautiful things is that when you stop thinking about the problem you're trying to solve, often the answer shows up. And I'll do that often when I'm working in the office and, and literally the ceiling over my head, it feels like the thing that's holding me back. So if I go out and just run and just let my subconscious roll with it, it's amazing what pops up. So I can only imagine you've had many of those moments as you've built the business and, and set forth on this journey. And it's funny that you mentioned for yourself, biking, or I always find it kind of comes to me when I'm, I run. So whenever I go for a run, I usually, that's when I know it's going to happen. If it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so I have to stop and do like a voice memo to it. So I don't forget. <laughs> oh my gosh. You and I use the same process. So talk to us about some of the stories. I'm curious. I was looking at the photos of the women who you employ, and I was just looking at the joy on their faces and I was thinking there's got to be some pretty inspiring stories about them. Um, but let's start with who are these women and why are these jobs so important to them? Sure. So all these women live in the north part of Delhi, India. So they're all within like either one bus ride or walking distance to our sewing house. Um, there's a lot of small villages and slums in that area. So we we chose to set up shop there so it's accessible for these ladies. These are women who are unfortunately never had the opportunity for an education, come from very 
traditional families in the sense that, you know, there's usually defined roles for a woman, usually that, you know, doing stuff around the house, having children, taking care of your children, taking care of your husband and your in-laws. Many of them have never met women who are strong, independent women. Um, they, oh. they don't know that, or they see it as a foreign thing, not something that happens in India, or, you know, that could happen to them. Uh, many of them also suffer from domestic violence, um, if not from their spouse, their in-laws, or both. Many of them also, they understand English. It's funny when we communicate, because I'll speak to them in my broken Hindi, and they'll reply in their broken English, but we, we get along just great. <laughs> but um, they're looking for a chance. That's what you know, I think everyone wants, right? They, they mm -hmm. don't want charity. They want an opportunity to earn for themselves and take better care of their children. That's what they want. Amazing. How have you seen beyond those things, some of the unexpected surprises and how the employments changed, changed their life? Oh, I've seen it change all of them. I've seen improvements in their lives. I've seen it just in their outlook, in their optimism, the way they carry themselves, they're confident. You know, that before they start, you can see that they lack confidence. They don't know if they're able to, to do this. And, you know, when you see someone who's so confident that wasn't, you know, confident when you first met them, like it's, it's really, it's like a different person. I've seen it even in how they talk about their life and their ambition, you know, what they want for themselves. It's so much more now than what it was in the beginning. So I've seen it in those ways. And I've also seen it in, there's been a few really strong examples where, and one woman in particular stands out to me. She, when she started, you know, she didn't know even how to turn on a computer. And she is now, um, you know, a production manager. She handles all our client emails. Um, she handles everything really. Like nothing leaves the sewing house unless she's approved it. Um, and I've just seen her come so far. And, you know, I told her, I was like, well, I'm, I'm worried now you're going to leave and go be a production manager somewhere else because you have the experience, yeah. you know what yeah. you're doing. Um, you know, if she does great, <laughs> move on to bigger and, and better things. But I said, that's what worries me. I said, I would be, I would be sad if she left, <laughs> but yeah. that's what yeah. I want, right? We want them all to, to move on to bigger and better things. I can only imagine how good that feels for you and for your team when you, you, you know, as, as I'm looking at you, for those of you who are listening and you can't see, but there's, there's a door right behind Seaman. I, I the, the metaphor of opening a door for these women, and then they just keep opening the doors themselves and, you know, raising the roof and using the ceiling that was there for them as the floor to the next opportunity. Like so inspiring. I'm going to jump to your business model for a second here. And what I love about it is that it's so simple, but through the work that I do, as a creative strategist and a business problem solver, I know that simple is not easy. Can you share with us one or two of Cooks Who Feeds biggest challenges that you've overcome? Oh God, I've had a lot of challenges. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure like most businesses, COVID's been crazy, right? It's been, it's mm -hmm. been really hard. Hard for us in the sense that we sell our aprons to like to end customers to, through retail channel, but we also sell to businesses and businesses in hospitality use aprons. So during the pandemic, it was really quiet for us when it came to our clients and, and hospitality. Um, you know, we make aprons for culinary schools and caterers and all that was non-existent during COVID. And then in addition to that, India went through a couple lockdowns for several weeks, right? Some of the, I think one was almost three months long. So we were not able to operate mm -hmm. um, for that amount of time. And just getting, you know, when we were able to pick back up, 
just putting new measures in place so that everyone was safe and had what they needed. And then of course, during those lockdowns, what do we do with the ladies, right? How do they put food on their table? So making sure everyone was okay, their families were okay, everyone had masks, everyone had hand sanitizer, soap, um, I think things that we take for granted over here, right? Like we didn't, I know for myself, I didn't even think of that when we first started. It wasn't, it was only mm -hmm. you know, after the first few days, I was like, wait a minute, you know, how are these ladies buying masks? How are they, you know, and then we started making masks and it was like, mm -hmm. how do we, for them, of course, for them. Yeah. And um, yeah. I was like, you know, soap and, and hand sanitizer, like you don't even think twice when you pick it up here. And I'm like, they don't have access to that or they may not be able to afford enough for their whole family. Um, and because they live in multi-generational families, it's like, okay, if one person gets it, you know, it's, it's easy to spread in their household. Um, so a lot of challenges when it came to COVID. Um, another big thing for us is I think cash flow, which is another issue for most businesses, right? Because mm -hmm. when you sell to, to customers, you need the inventory first, right? So we are, we, we don't have any investors. I, I own Cooks Who Feed um, 100% myself and everything has been bootstrapped or through uh, my savings or through, you know, doing pitch contests and winning pitch contests. So just keep putting myself out there so we can keep growing this business. Yeah. There's always, there's always the hustle that supports the business, right? There's the core business yeah. and the hustle that supports the business. I'm looking at your strategic partnerships and what's really interesting is it would appear from your website that they're really tight and you've garnered and worked to partner with some fantastic partners and develop great relationships. And I sometimes see, especially women entrepreneurs struggle with the belief that they have to achieve their purpose themselves you know, beyond making money, beyond buying, making a viable business, you know, cooks who feed and helping to contribute to end poverty hunger, that that's a big problem to solve. And, you know, I love the story of going for the run, having the idea and it just being so very clear, but often that big purpose can get in the way of the dreaming big when it comes to defining your purpose itself. You know, I'm not going to go that big because, well, I don't know how I'm going to achieve it, but what I've learned through reading about your partnerships with Cooks Who Feed and those you partner with, you've done an amazing job at leveraging those partnerships to achieve its purpose. So were strategic partners a part of the plan to end hunger right from the start, or were they an evolution of your business model? Talk a little bit about that, because I think the insights into that are going to help inspire some of them who are listening to this. So from day one, I knew I had to bring on partners. Um, as you mentioned, fighting hunger is a big deal, right? It's a big problem. And well aware that I'm not solving this on my own. I cannot solve it on my own. And there's so many wonderful organizations that are, you know, also making making way and making progress. And it didn't make sense to me to reinvent the wheel, like to do something that someone else is already doing so wonderfully. That is why I reached out to the charity partners that I did. I wanted a charity partner here in Canada because we are a Canadian company. So I reached out to Second Harvest here, which um, many people know, and they've been around for so long and they know what they're doing. Similar to my partner in the US, uh, Rescuing Leftover Cuisine. They've been around for 10 plus years. Like they, they've, they've won awards for what they do. They're, they've been recognized as, you know, being able to they're they're mostly volunteer you know run so most of the money goes towards providing the meals um, and then same with our partner in Asia it's I wanted to make sure that these were reputable charities that knew what to do and then also I realized it saves me from trying to figure out that part of the business if they're already doing it well why wouldn't I just work with them and for them it was a no-brainer 
most charities, they survive because of donation. And especially during a time of COVID, a lot of those donations, corporate donations were not there. So for someone to reach out to you and say, hey, I want to start this. And every time I sell a product, you're going to get, you know, a donation to go towards the work that you do. They were like, okay, well, great. (laughs) So it wasn't hard to convince them, but I I see it as a sustainable way to do this. I don't think relying purely on donations is a sustainable way to fight hunger. I think there has to be more to it. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing you say is, is just to put it out as some takeaways for the listeners is, is in, in vetting strategic partners is know what your parameters are. So for you, it was um, an established organization who is clear on what they did and they're good at what they do. Someone who is aligned with helping you achieve your purpose, someone who already had the ways and the understanding of seeing a good partnership themselves and simply being open to partnerships and relationships and engaging with them that way. For sure. Another big one too, was that they also believed in that we don't need to produce more food. They're rescuing surplus food to provide the meals. And that was a big one for me because I truly believe that, right? I think it's over, over a third of the food we produce is wasted, right? When you think of mm-hmm. that, that's crazy. And then you've got over 800 million people who don't have enough to eat. It, it's, it's been, you know, it's proven that we have enough food. It's just a matter of getting it into people's hands. Yeah. So wanted to only work with organizations that also believe that. And, you know, our relationships have, they've been growing, they've been getting stronger. They support me. Like I, I only see win-wins here because, you know, they're promoting what I do because it benefits them. It's, I couldn't have done it without them. That's for sure. So incredibly powerful. I'd love to hear about your entrepreneurial journey. So you never set out to develop a business, did you? I did not. I have, I have one experience uh, prior to this and it didn't go so well. So <laughs> uh, I never really looked at this as, oh, I'm starting a company. It was just, okay, we're just going to start something to get other foodies motivated to solve this problem so we can solve it together. So bringing a community together to start a movement? Exactly. Talk to me about the energy around the movement. What did you find once you got clear on how you were going to launch the business and what it was going to be from the Kickstarter campaign, what was the experience of starting a movement versus starting a business? It's all mindset, right? Because I guess I was starting a business, right? But that's not how I looked at it. I didn't realize I was actually starting a business until I realized, shoot, I should probably be keeping track of the financials and all the stuff <laughs> goes with the business, right? Um, yeah, I think... And in fact, that probably helped me to not see it as a business from day one. It was just focused on the mission, focused on what we wanted to achieve. And it helped me see things a bit more clearly as well. And also helped me decide what things to do and what not to do. I'm just looking at Mm -hmm. it that way. Yeah, I would agree with you. Mindset, but also structure. Yeah. You know, what you put at the heart and the center of the focus really does become the focus. And it really is the women and the ending to hunger, which stays the focus which seems to me pretty darn powerful and gives you a lot of traction. I agree. Speaking of community, we couldn't go an interview without talking about your being a 2022 venture this year. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I'd love for you to reflect a bit on your journey within this community. How did you find out about the organization? When did you decide to apply? Because I know some folks are like, oh no, I couldn't do that this year. And they wait and they wait. And then all of a sudden they apply. Talk to us about your journey. So it was actually another venture that introduced me to the community. Um, Patrice Mousseau from Satya Organics. She Mm -hmm. introduced me. Uh, We were part of an accelerator together through Elevate. And 
she had mentioned to me, she's like, you know, the, the applications for Canada are opening up. You need to apply. I was like, well, tell me more. <laughs> what is this community? Tell mm-hmm. me more. How has it benefited you? And she only had all these wonderful things to say. And she's a great spokesperson because <laughs> she definitely within like five minutes, I'm like, you're right. I'm going to take the time to apply. And also she mentioned to me, this is not like other applications, right? Where it could take days and, you know, these long-winded answers and essay question. No, no, no. It's straightforward. If you know your business, you can do it. Um, So yeah, hearing that, I was like, you know what, what do I have to lose? And I try to always Mm -hmm. look at everything that way. What do I have to lose? The last thing you want is regrets, right? Like, oh, I wish I would have. I don't want any regrets. So I thought let's apply. And if, you know, great, if I can get in, if I can't, well, there's always next year, but I was lucky enough to, to get in. And it was actually Pam, Pam Joy that called me to tell me. So great. <laughs> and it's, again, I was out for a run <laughs> when she called me. Um, and I literally like, was like, I, I was in tears. I was like, oh my God, like, this is just crazy. Cause um, just overwhelmed. Last year was a tough year. And I think just getting some wonderful news like that when I least expected it, it just, I started to tear up and I was like, this is the best news I've ever heard in years. (laughs) That's fantastic. And I love that shout out to Patrice. I'm very excited to see her next week, uh, live and in person. And that's one of the special things about this community is the tightness of it and how it's just the ability to pick up the phone and call someone and say, Hey, I need some help with X and Y. And that leads me to the question of how has this community positively impacted your business since becoming a venture? Because you were effectively by Patrice, not even just saying you should, she was like, you need to apply since that, those words and those need and the call from Pam, how has this community impacted your business as well as you? So I'll start off by saying how it's impacted me. Cause I think that's also impacted my business because my outlook, it's so nice to be seen. I think so many entrepreneurs, especially women entrepreneurs, you don't feel like you're being seen. Um, You know, you're feel like you're fighting a battle alone. And when you finally are able to be seen, that gives you the motivation to keep going. You know, that there's Mm -hmm. got this whole community of people who believed in you enough to give you, you know, to, to, to help you fund your business, to help you fund your dream, to help you fund your mission. It's not a small amount. It's, they really believe in you. And that is very humbling and also makes you recognize, okay, I'm on the right track. And you need that, I think, as entrepreneurs, right? Every now and then you need that hope, right? You need someone to be like, yes, you're on the right track. We believe in what you're doing. And that's impacted, obviously, my outlook on, on the business. That's impact, impacted my own like self-esteem and therefore impacting, you know, impacts the way how I run my business and what I'm confident in doing and the risks that I'm willing to take to, to do it. Um, I have a lot less fear. Um, and, and, you know, moving forward and how I want to see this company grow and the things I want to do. And I I believe that is because now of being part of this community. Um, So that's, I think for me, that's the biggest thing is being seen. I absolutely agree with you. And I always love hearing about the stories of how it changes self-worth, self-confidence, the ability to know that there's a bunch of people behind you. And that's one of the things that is so inspiring about this community as well. What about your business? So you've been impacted, confidence to step in and go bigger. So how has that affected the business? Well, a big part is just having so many people who are so well connected, right? And being able to, because I think at least for my business, it's a lot of it is, you know, the connections. Who do I know? How can how can we grow? Because we sell a lot to businesses, um, 
whether it's in hospitality or we work with realtors, we work with home builders because uh, we customize our textiles. So they make a great housewarming gift. You know, it's really how many of these business clients can I meet or put myself in front of, right? So having mm-hmm. this network who are all connected, you know, it's like, hey, do you know someone who works here? <laughs> if you do, um, we'd love to an intro. Yes, indeed I do. I have a very good client who's a realtor. So I will make that intro after this, after we <laughs> oh, wrap up the podcast. So that's exactly it's that instant like there's probably someone who knows someone here or probably someone who knows in this who knows someone in this industry and that it just helps you move on a bit faster because when you're not when you're not you know when you're just looking at your own networks it's that whole okay let me cold call let me do my research let me find out who the right person to speak with is and that obviously takes time and when you're when you're just starting time is so crucial, right? So when you have someone that says, Hey, I know this, I know someone in this company, I'll put you in touch. It's like, okay, days, that could have taken you days, right? To find the right person, if you even end up finding them at all. So Mm -hmm. that is invaluable, right? It's so invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of a story of a friend of mine, Pam Slim, who loves John Legend and she's an author and she does a lot of workshops. And so her it's the keep asking aspect. And so every time she's doing a workshop, she's doing, she's convinced there's going to be a person in the room who knows John legend and she is going to get to meet him. Well, I was actually at the conference she was at last week when she mentioned it from stage and someone walked up to her afterwards and goes, Oh yeah, I can make that connection. Oh so it's, it's <laughs> right. So it's the, but it's also the encouragement of don't give up, keep asking. And I think that's one thing that I know myself, I still struggle with. I've been in business for myself for almost 20 years is remembering it's okay to ask because people want to help. Yeah. But that comes with this community too, right? Like you, it feels like a safe place to ask. It is a safe place to ask and not all mm-hmm. communities are like that. Right. But this absolutely, is, this is what it's all about. So you feel, you, even though you might've been hesitant before, this feels like a safe place to ask that, any question you have. Excellent. You segued fantastically for me. What is your ask? How can our community support you in the now? Um, what is it that we can help you with? Our, and, and, and it could be the, hey, small ask, do you know, realtor, do you know, these are the types of people that I want to be introduced to, but I'm also curious if there's a big ask that you're, you know, something's coming down the pipe. Yeah. If anyone knows any larger home developers, I would love to meet someone in their marketing team. We just closed a deal a couple, uh, maybe about a month ago now with our first big home developer. Um, and they like, it's, it's our biggest deal to date. And I didn't even know we could do that. <laughs> and now that I know we can do it, I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of home builders out there. Now it's, you know, being introduced to them. Um, Cause like I said, our textiles make great housewarming gifts. But in addition to that, we've partnered with other Canadian brands, all sustainable brands um, to create a gift box. We call it better box because we're creating a better world. So we've got like Peace by Chocolate, Tea's Tea, Balzac's Coffee. So either companies that give, do a give back model or they're sustainable because of their production or, you know, it's fair trade, but everyone in the box deserves to be in this gift box. So it's not just cooks who feed. It's, I wanted to celebrate all of these brands that I thought, okay, you have products that make a great housewarming gift if we combine everything together. So that's actually what we sold to this home builder was almost a thousand of these boxes. Um, because they give a gift, right? So when someone move, finally moves into their home, there's a gift there waiting for them. So yes, if anyone knows any home builders, that would be amazing. 
Another initiative that I'm trying to see if we can do is partnering with like a Williams Sonoma, a Whole Foods to do a co-branded apron. Okay. So their logo, their colors um, that they could carry in their store. So a way for them to to give back and be connected to the community and to you know help marginalized women and help obviously fight hunger. Um, but it would be their apron that would they would carry. So looking to see if anyone knows anyone in these bigger like lifestyle type of retailers, whether it's like Whole Foods, Williams Sonoma, Crate and Barrel, West Elm, any of these big retailers that carry like kitchen or all of them. Or all of them, right. yes. All of them. I'll take all of them. <laughs> go big or go home, right? <laughs> all right, community, your challenge has been set. If you know any home developers, or if you know anyone who is in the specialty stores, Williams-Sonoma, those types of stores, please connect with SEMA and make it happen. Is there anything else you want to share with the community that I haven't asked you today to wrap up our chat? Um, One thing I always like to share with people is that, uh, you know, people say, oh, hunger is such a big problem. And it is a big problem, but I think it's something that we can definitely solve and it just requires everyone to do something and whether that's like it could be anything right whether it's buying an apron or going to your local food bank and donating or volunteering your time I think if everyone did something small this wouldn't be the problem that it is today in fact I think we could eradicate hunger and we need to um because that's the only way you can break the cycle of poverty for for families is is to you know you can't think about Get, getting yourself educated and going out and getting a job when you're hungry. So that to me, you know, your, your basic, mm-hmm. your water, shelter, food, these are things that we need to make sure everyone has. And um, I think, yeah, just anything small contributing in any small way is, is, is uh, will have a big effect. I agree with you. And I want to hone in on one thing to wrap up the interview is doing one small thing, like buying an apron. I don't think we touched on one apron from cooks who feed donates how many meals? 100. Right? So the multiple of 100. Congratulations on achieving that, bringing it to life. And thank you so much for being here for this interview today. I'm so excited for everyone to hear it. Thanks for having me, Carly. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at CEO.world.